Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. If you buy Billy that shotgun, you are really going to have to be really nice to him forever. And she just starts crying. And I'm like, oh no, it's about that stupid eagle again. I do have personal experience targeting trophy goldfish. Every single line of his is tangled and it is like the cluster of the century. Good morning, degenerate anglers. Welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that thinks birding is for people who just can't figure out how to fish. I'm Joe Cermelli. I'm Miles Nolte, and uh, I don't. I, re- I really don't want to agree with you. Ah, I don't. Aha. I don't want to agree with you, you at all. You don't want to agree with me, which is your way of admitting that you actually do agree with me. No, I, I've known you long enough now. No, yes, no, not. <laughs> I, that's not entirely true. Look, I. How how do I? I actually do think that birds are cool. All right. Part of what I love about my house, for example, is the fact that my office slash spare bedroom slash place we store all the random crap we don't have space for has <laughs> floor to ceiling windows that look out over this aspen grove i'm in fact looking ooh. at that grove right now ooh that sounds beautiful and and i i get to watch everything from robins and starlings to ravens and crows to woodpeckers and flickers to hawks and osprey and my personal favorite of course is the black capped chickadee which i refer to as the nelson munts bird <laughs> because it's call Sounds a lot like the signature laugh of Nelson Muntz, the bully from The Simpsons. <laughs> so yeah, dude, I admit I like birds. I think birds are cool. Yeah, yeah, birds—they are cool. Certain ones are entertaining. Like I—I I love a good uh, tuna chick or gannet, especially like a lot of like a lot of them together, dipping and diving yes. into the ocean. So you agree with me? I could watch that all day. In fact, I get upset when they stop doing that once they've started. You know what I'm saying? But I, I think you're, in t- you're intentionally missing the point because it, it's a simple yes or no question. Do you go out birding 
As in, do you set out from from your 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 abode, from your home, with binos dangling around your neck, and uh, maybe a safari vest stuffed with manuals, <laughs> bird manuals, and a logbook, and safari and actively vest. say to yourself, "Today I'm going to look for birds." Like, do you make looking for birds an actual goal that you will use your spare time on? Uh, no, I. You're no, thinking I don't about do it too that. hard. <laughs> okay, then you don't go birding. Ergo. Okay, you agree birds are cool, but birding is lame. It is not cool. Uh, that no. All right, that's not exactly what I said. I think you were twisting my words. I would. I would say that. All right, how do I? Bur- you know what? Every year, every year, and this year is no different. Every year, I swear I'm going to pick up a bird identification book and I'm going to take that thing with me every time I go fishing, which is part of birding, right? But have you bought the book? Have you actually purchased the book? No, but I'm, uh, I'm going to do made. that. My like, point I'm, is made. Wanting to like birding is not the same as actually birding. I want to like jogging in thigh masters. <laughs> you just like thigh master commercials. I, true, but I, I mean, it's, it's I, I, I want to like DIY home improvements. I want to like respooling yeah. my reels. It doesn't mean I actually enjoy any of those things. All right. I'm, I feel like I'm <laughs> arguing a point I cannot win. I am not a birder. I don't. And I, I actually, I don't think I want to be a birder. I just, I'm not willing to go so far as to say birding is lame. Right. Mostly, I mean, mostly because I don't want to fully concede this argument to you, but also because I think, I, I because bird watching does add to my enjoyment of fishing. It is not at all like jogging or fixing a sink. I get that. I, I think of it like pleasure boating. Like I never understood just driving around on a boat no. for no reason. Yeah. Like that's what birding is. I'm not going to shoot the bird. And like pleasure boating is like, I'm just going to piss away gas and ride around, but I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to ride around. It doesn't make sense. Um, but I, w- I, I will ask though, can you have a great day of fishing without seeing any birds? Yes. And like I said, your point is taken. I, I, <laughs> I concede at least to the, as far as I'm willing to concede in this conversation. Birds are never going to be the main reason that I right. go out to the water, but they do. They add to my overall experience. I'm glad they're there. I enjoy okay. the birds. Good. I accept your apology. And now that my domination <laughs> of the argument is forever recorded here on Ben, I think we can actually get on with the show. Uh, and first up, we have a smooth move for you where we bring on guides, captains, outfitters, really anyone who works in the fishing industry. And uh, we ask them to tell us a story about some entertaining shit that clients have done. This week, we're hanging out with, with one of Miles' old buddies, Rick Matney, who uh, is going to tell us about a client who cannot enjoy fishing if no birds are involved why did you do that why why did you do that Terry? oh my god joining us today in the guide shack is captain guide outfitter lodge owner boat mechanic chef and outdoor plumbing expert rick manny what's up rick how you doing did i did i forget anything in there I mean, custom woodworker too. You should see the rod racks I just built in my new boat. But yeah, you know, other than that, <laughs> other than that, I had a pretty good <laughs> little context. Rick and I live in the same town and have known each other for a very long time. In addition to to guiding all over Montana, Rick runs a, a fishing lodge up in Wrangell, Alaska, called Chrome Chasers that I got lucky enough to get invited to one time. And like you guys, you primarily target steelhead, but you also do salmon trips, right? Yeah, we, we started a fall, late summer, fall foraging fishing trip. So that's kind of an all-inclusive experience trip that involves fishing in the creeks, fishing in the ocean, um, digging clams, setting out shrimp pots, crab pots, uh, harvesting berries, uh, wild mushrooms, uh, seaweed, all kinds of stuff. So it's like a full-on 
almost like a nature inclusion trip. Uh, and we go out and basically get everything we need to survive on for dinner and come back to the lodge and, and, and cook it and preserve it and things like that afterwards. That tracks, man, because when I was up there, I think I had one of the greatest days of my life. We got to, we were hiking around up in the southeast Alaska rainforest. I will never forget, I hooked seven, seven dime bright steelhead on seven consecutive casts, which should Ooh, never happen. Yeah. Ever. And then, and like we get done and Rick's driving us back to the harbor and, and like, hold on, we got to pull over and you pulled crab pots on the way back and just brought in a bunch of fresh Dungeness crab. And that's what we got to eat for dinner. It was like, it was truly glorious, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yes correct to yes. me it's every day I this mean, is I my life what, what it, it was your best day ever that's wednesday your best day ever it's a tuesday you know that's just uh you should see what wednesdays are like it gets real wild on wednesdays oh uh, all right well enough about how much better your life is than everybody else's we brought you here to tell us a ridiculous story about something a client has done uh but before i have you tell that actual story we're gonna do a little like short bonus, smooth move. What's the stupidest question you get asked on a regular basis? The stupidest question that I get asked, and I think every single week of clients I've ever had in Alaska, someone has asked the question, what elevation are we at as we're driving the boat on the ocean? And I don't think I have had a single week in 12 years. You know, I mean, how many clients? I'd have to add that up. It's like, like 600 clients, someone in each four person group has asked that question at least once during the week, sometimes multiple times, <laughs> but no matter what, hands down while driving on the ocean, someone asks, what elevation are we at? Oh, and you know, they're trying to sound so smart. Yeah. Like, you know, so most of these it. guys are smart. You know, these guys are CEOs <laughs> of big corporations. They're incredibly intelligent people. You know, they're kind of the upper echelon. And then something like that comes out of their mouth and you just discredit everything else they've done in life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's almost as good as the, like, when does the river circle back to the truck question that, that we get in Montana? Uh, that, that was good, but I know that's not the main event. Lay it on us. Tell us, tell us the real story you got for us. Okay. The real one I got, I mean, I've guided for oh, almost 25 years now since I was young. My dad had an outfitting company, so I've had all walks of life, um, everything from hunting and fishing both, but there's a fishing podcast. We got to go to fishing and go, stick, there's, stick one, with the fishing. there's one story that sticks to mind. Uh, and it was just, it was one of those things that it was pretty late in my guiding career. So I had a whole bunch of experience and I did something that, that I probably should have never done. And I had this lady call me up and she wanted to book a guided fishing trip. And the reason she wanted to book a guided fishing trip is because she's never seen a bald eagle. Um, her name is uh, Mary from Atlanta, Georgia. And the hotel where she was staying at said the best chance she'd have at seeing a bald eagle was to float down a river because that's where the uh, eagles are because they feed on fish. That's what the lady at the hotel said. So her husband fishes a little bit and she, he's going to go along. So I meet him. I agree to take him on a trip. And I was like, yeah, well, well I'm sure I guarantee you we're going to see an eagle. I did the one thing that a guide should never do. Pulled out the guarantee word. Oh, and so we go, th she's never fished before. I get her set up with a rod and she's like, you know, I'm really not interested. I just want to see an eagle. So I'll just ride in the back of the boat. Totally fine. Husband gets up front, starts catching fish. We go on with the day. I completely forget about trying to find an eagle right away. And, uh, cause I'm too into the fishing and at lunchtime we sit down and Mary's sitting in the back of the boat. She hasn't said a word all day. I didn't even realize that she was back there just quiet as a church mouse. And I turned back around when she was eating her sandwich. I was like, Mary, what's wrong? You haven't said a word all day. She's like, we haven't seen an eagle. I was like, 
Oh, oh, hang on. Just let me look around. I'm sure I can find one from where we're sitting right now. I just, I forgot about it. I forgot to look for the eagle. My bad. I see an eagle every single day, usually 10 or 20 of them. And I couldn't find an eagle for the life of me on the no. Yellowstone River in Paradise Valley in July. Like, that just no doesn't way. happen. And so we continue floating, and she's getting mopier and mopier. And then about, we get down to where the takeout's probably maybe a quarter mile downriver. And she's like, how far to the takeout? And I was like, oh, oh maybe 30 more minutes. We uh, we got probably a quarter mile left. And she just starts crying, like <laughs> just crying. And I'm like, oh, no, it's about that. It's about that stupid eagle again. And I was like, she's like, we still haven't seen an eagle. And she's just kind of moping and crying. And just on cue, an osprey comes over the top of the river, starts backpedaling. And I was like, Mary, an osprey. I know it's not an eagle, but it's an osprey. And look how it st- see how it stalls out. It's going to dive and catch a fish right in front of us. And she's crying at this point in time, just sobbing. It's not an eagle. <laughs> and this osprey dives, comes flying out of the air, smokes a whitefish right in front of us in a tail out gets it and starts coming up the river towards us. And as it gets to maybe 25 or 30 yards from us, you hear this, this noise from wind on the wings and an eagle comes in and just drills the osprey, drops the fish, fish lands on the gravel bar and skips. Eagle on the osprey kind of do a couple circles, having it out. Eagle lands and starts eating on the fish. And this lady is bawling uncontrollably <laughs> at this point in time. Like, <laughs> like mother nature couldn't have queued this up better for me, especially on the one time I guaranteed we'd see an Eagle. So I thought for sure. And we're, I can see the takeout. Like I thought we were, I was, you know, in hot water and done forever. And uh, so the moral of the story is as a guide, never say the word guarantee that had had a happy ending, but it, it was uh it was a very emotional roller coaster for me. <laughs> To say the least, I had no idea where this was going. But I was, I was wondering, like, if you would like hit one, like, with your windshield on the way out of the parking lot or something like that. <laughs> no, unfortunately yeah. not. This is the most <laughs> uplifting and positive, smooth moves of all I time. I think so. Well, yeah. well, the I problem think so. is, is most all my other stories are so tragic. I didn't think we wanted to go there. <laughs> no, no, dude. We, we embrace we tragedy the here on Ben. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> we can go either way, but yeah. uh, that we're, we're for once we're coming out of smooth moves. I think we're not, we're not like terribly making fun of anybody or, or feeling sad about ourselves. So Rick, <laughs> thank you for that. I'm going to ask again, after hearing that story, are you, are you still unwilling to admit that birding is lame? Yes. In fact, actually, you know what? That story reminded me of one of the reasons why I do love bird watching. The story touched on two things that can save your ass if you're guiding on the Yellowstone River, which is something I've done a lot of. Eagles and whitefish. Ah. I once I once had a float on the stone with a dude who was very, very into birding. And I, this is why I remember the details on this. He was so stoked. He counted 50 different eagles, both bald and golden, in a single day. and that was very lucky, and it was great because the fishing was terrible. Right. But that dude left happy as hell. And similarly, on that particular river, even when the trout are just about impossible to find, you, you can always count on the whitefish. Sure. Man. The sure. whiteys always come through. Sure, and I get that. I, I If if seeing birds can somehow add a, add a spark to a slow guiding day, that's great. Matter of fact, my good buddy, Captain Eric Kerber, um, he had a group 
that that used to book him for offshore birding every season, and he would get full price for a tuna run. All oh, he had nice. to do, yeah, all he had to do was run fifty miles out, put out a chum slick, and let these people ogle all the different offshore birds picking in the slick. And he was like, "It's oh, easy, it's easiest money ever, perfect. dude. Easiest money ever." We yeah. we we had bear viewing trips when I was working in Alaska, and yeah. those are the ones you wanted, man, because like. That same deal, same price. You, you get paid the same. All you got to do is drive the boat around and find the bears. Sit there and eat Those. a Twinkie. But yep. uh, anyway, uh, let's move on to trying to flip each other uh, birds in, in the <laughs> battle we call fish news. Fish news. That escalated quickly. So before we start news, let's do a little housekeeping. And I'm excited about this housekeeping because we've yeah. got a big we've got a big announcement, right? So since I joined the Meat Eater team, a lot of you guys have been like, hey, uh, dude, when are you <laughs> going to get another video series? Like, where where you been? Well, I was out shooting the first four episodes all last fall, and I spent all winter cutting them and working with our badass production team to whip them into shape. And guess what? The time has come. B-side fishing is what it's called. And episode one is dropping next Tuesday on Meat Eater's YouTube channel. Yeah. So all those uh, all those emails and, and DMs <laughs> and like skywriting and telegraphs that we've been getting asking like, <laughs> when's Joe's new show? We want a new Joe show. Where's the Joe show? We've been Joe working show. on it. All right. That's what I've been telling you. We've been working like a on year it. now. I'm working on it. <laughs> there were some unavoidable hiccups, but the time is nigh. So take yeah. all that energy that you've been pouring into <laughs> letting us know how badly you want more videos from Joe and use that to now tell everyone you know, all your friends, the rest of the world, it's finally here. And everyone should go watch it because it's it's definitely got some bent vibe to it. Oh, totally. That it does. It's got a bit of bent vibe to it and uh, mostly explores. Um, you know, underappreciated fisheries or oddball mm -hmm. fisheries in unexpected places, which is something I'm familiar with doing. In fact, I'm kicking off the series in Dirty Jersey because it's kind of like the capital of the unexpected, right? Like everyone seems to think Jersey is a, a tiny rat race covered in highways. Um, you're wrong. That's actually Delaware uh, without a <laughs> stitch of open land. But that's that's not really true, right? I'm like, you know, Jersey to the core, Jersey proud. Plus, let's be honest. Um, 2020, which was one of those hiccups, talk about hiccups, 2020 was was a very like stay local kind of year. Like we, we weren't exactly jet setting all over the place to film stuff in uh, 2020. So I'm no. like, here's what I'll do. I will start off in Jersey. I know it well. You yes. Know? So. Yes, you did. <laughs> and and uh, I was one of those people who just believed the media hype about Jersey, which isn't true. And I've learned a lot, actually, mm -hmm. from you about Jersey fishing opportunities in the past few months, and so will everybody who watches this. So new episodes will go live on the Meat Eater YouTube channel every Tuesday for the next month. Yep. And and since things are finally starting to open up again, we are already starting to shoot the next batch. Oh, yeah. Starting to expand already, yep. the range a little bit, moving moving outside of Jersey. Who, who knows? I, I might even make a cameo in one. So expect, expect to see more Joe Show launching later this year. You're, you're all welcome. Anyway, that's great. Go watch that, but we're here for another purpose. Moving on to fish news. Little reminder, this is a competition. Neither Joe nor myself know what the other one's bringing to table, and uh, we are trying to compete for the love, affection, and attention of, uh, of <laughs> Phil the Engineer, a man whose personal hygiene is above reproach. 
And this week, <laughs> this week it is Joe's lead, and uh, I'm curious to see what you what you brought. Yeah, well, very excited about B side. Less excited about the news stories I found this week, but that's okay. It's fine. Um, and and this first one here, I'm going to admit that I grabbed really for no other reason than it offers me an opportunity to comment on and criticize a common thing I hear anglers say. All right. Okay. So uh, this comes to us from Syracuse.com. Headline, Angler's Tale, I caught a 14 and a half inch goldfish in Onondaga Lake with my fly rod. And it is a tale so gripping, I'm surprised it hasn't already been optioned by Netflix. I'm actually fascinated that that, had I seen (laughs) that, I would have clicked on it because I have done some goldfish fishing. So please continue. Oh, man. Then I might make you feel bad, too, by the end of this. So... uh, So a few weekends ago, as the story goes, Joe Selliver was fishing the mouth of Bloody Creek where it enters Onondaga Lake. He was looking for bass and carp, uh, but he also spied two goldfish. And according to the story, spent quite some time sight casting a woolly bugger on his foreweight to them with no luck. Okay, they were just being just lockjawed, them goldfish. That's that's um, been my experience with the with the goldfish too. Oh just man, saying. you're gonna I'm gonna come out looking real bad here. <laughs> Damn it. It's fine. I'm gonna just keep going. Shit. Uh, and just when he was about to call it quits, one of them went full beast mode and ate the woolly bugger. Okay, now, first bit of commentary, which ties back to our discussion um, about the the lure of the Palomino trout, because I'm convinced that if you see a bright orange fish, whether it's a trout or a goldfish or whatever, like, you must target it. You must. You cannot, you cannot leave it alone. And for most anglers, myself included, I would have probably have spent some amount of time trying to catch these goldfish if I saw them, okay? So, to get back, the goldfish is now committed, and I shall read from the story. <laughs> Selliver said his heart was pounding as the fish took a run up the brook that flows underneath the Onondaga Lake Parkway and into the lake on the northern edge of the Butterfly Garden. He said he <laughs> had the fish on for about 10 minutes. When it tired, he solicited help of a couple who were there at the time walking with their two children and cheering him on as he battled a fish. So here's my question. I said this was going to lend itself to a commentary. How often have you heard a fisherman tell you they had a fish on or fought a fish for 10 minutes, right? How often have you heard that? Like that I mean, I've heard it, but it does roll off the tongue. I find it to usually be hyperbole. Okay, okay, because it rolls right off the tongue very smoothly, right? And and I always feel like it's the go-to whenever you're recounting what you believe to have been an epic battle after the fact. Like, it's like 10 minutes. You ever ever notice that? Maybe it's just me. No, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, But, like, listen, if you get your phone out and you set a timer for 10 minutes, like, just sit there, like, for 10 true minutes – and then, and then think about it and tell me how many fish you've caught that you legitimately fought for a full 10 minutes. And I'm certainly not I'm not saying it doesn't happen, like in salt water, when you're talking about mm-hmm. tarpon or a tuna, right? But I've caught like countless 40-plus pound stripers and didn't fight none of them for 10 minutes. I don't think I've ever fought a steelhead for 10 minutes. I'm going to say barring extreme circumstances where like a fish – you know, like zips down a run and you've got to really chase it aside from maybe gator gar or, or sturgeon. There are no freshwater fish that take 10 minutes to land. So I'm saying all this because if I, buy, it took 10, I buy that. I buy that. No, I think that's, okay. that's straight true. Okay. So if it took 10 minutes, a true 10 minutes to tire this squat, fat 14 and a half inch <laughs> goldfish, then we are seriously underestimating the power of the goldfish. Now, little did I know that you have goldfishing experience, so maybe you can shed some light on this. But to I don't continue- buy the 10 minutes for a second. Okay. So then continuing on from the story, since he had no net, 
Celever asked the husband to hold his fly rod while he went back to his car <laughs> a short distance away to get one. And then after netting the fish, Celever laid it on the ground next to his fly rod for a photo and then released it. I mean, the way I look at this is if that fish were so strong and cunning, as you claim, why would you trust some dude to hold your fly rod? Like, what if the fish went bulldozing off into the sunset again? Like, what are the odds that that dude would know how to palm the drag and stop it? Anyway, interestingly, the story does note that Onondaga was once considered one of the most polluted lakes in the country, and that I did not know. It has, however, been getting cleaner and, uh, over the last few years. And what some experts in the story are saying is that the goldfish were introduced you know, via tank dumps years ago, yep. like they were in most places. But because they're so hardy, they managed to survive those years of, of heavy pollution better than a lot of the native species. And while they are invasive, New York DEC doesn't think that their population in Onondaga is particularly troubling. And they note that they never really see small goldfish in the lake. The ones that are there have been there for years. And when they do get one in a net study or something, it is always a friggin' tank. So if trophy goldfish is on your life list, it seems Onondaga Lake is the place to be. I know you're making fun of this, and I understand why. <laughs> I am. I am. Because it's ridiculous. And I, <laughs> like, I why fully is this own Syracuse.com. Fully- <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> I own the ridiculousness of what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyway because I, I do, <laughs> I do have personal experience targeting not Come 14 on with inch. It. But, I gotta hear but, it now. But trophy yeah. goldfish. There's a there's a little suburban pond in the neighborhood not too far away from here that's got like panfish and bass, and it's it's super fun to just go there and kill a few hours and and yeah. catch some fish, right? And one one year, this was a while ago, we were out there just after ice out and and messing around. And just like you're saying, you see this orange thing glowing, and you're like, holy <laughs> God, what is that? And there there were just a few of these 8 to 10-inch goldfish that were living in this little suburban pond. And we became, my, a buddy of mine and I got a little obsessed. And and they are, sm- they're, they're carp, man. They're really smart. They're really hard to fool on anything. Like, forget about the bass and the panfish. Those things are dumb. The goldfish became the prize, Anytime we went and fished there and it went from being this thing that we did at a suburban pond. I was like, oh yeah, throw away. You catch a few fish, you know, make a fish fry, whatever. Yeah. Kill a couple hours to like, dude, do you think we're going to be able to get like one of the 10 inch goldfish to eat today? And I know it's dumb. <laughs> I totally know it's no, dumb, but no, listen, it became this, this, this search. And we eventually did a catch a couple of them and it was super fun. It's not dumb. It's just not news, okay? Like dude catches <laughs> well, goldfish. Like it's just that's not like, news. Dude, I didn't call the, the I didn't call the no, Bozeman Daily no. Chronicle and be like, I got a goldfish. I know you didn't, but I mean, I've done similar stuff. Like I, you know, I love to fly fish for carp. There's a couple ponds around the way that were just loaded with koi. Obviously, somebody put them there years ago. Like they're these wild lakes, but somebody dumped koi in there, and like just to screw around, like that's what you would go and target in these lakes. So yeah. like. I, I get it, uh, but I don't know anywhere that has true goldfish that I've ever targeted. I'm not saying I wouldn't throw a trout magnet at it if I saw it or, a, <laughs> you or told an Adams you would. or whatever. You would. I'm just, I'm I'm convinced just saying that you would. If you were messing minutes, around this, on your local pond, you're like, oh, look at that orange thing. I'm going to cast that. And then when it didn't eat, you'd get obsessed. <laughs> I'm willing to bet. 
Okay. I'm willing, but to having said all that, like I think the a I think the 14 inch is a little bit of stretch. I I, I question no, 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 that. No, I've no, never I, seen I, that. I have I have the picture of it. I mean, it's it's now it's it's squat, dude. I mean, like it's like a it's like a uber football. Oh yeah. Oh, there's a photo of it. But like, you ever seen those 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 pellet head trout or like koi that are are just way not long enough to it looks like where they they wouldn't even have the tail power to swim like they yeah. just like waddle through the water <laughs> that's what this fish looks like so i'm not buying that like it took you up the chutes into the butterfly <laughs> garden pond into the backing <laughs> 10 the minutes my was, ass i mean it sounds perfect like that's that's my experience with them it's totally like a <laughs> suburban scene like oh right. look, you get the kids walking in the background of the dog park yeah it's, that's that's where you go to catch your your trophy goldfish for sure yep the, the big hogs uh Maybe that'll be a B-side one day. We'll go gold fishing, you and I. I would I would love to do that. I would love to see your response to that. And I think people <laughs> would either be like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen, or they'd begrudgingly go, all right, that looks like fun. I'm surprised try. they're as hard as you say, because compared to wild carp, like goldfish nibble at anything you put in a tank. I know. I like I, we didn't think hard. they were going to be hard. We did not think they were going to be challenging. They proved us wrong. But I'll say this. don't. This is not a good reason to put goldfish into any body of water. And if you do catch them, take them out and kill them. That's what we always <laughs> yeah. did because they're not supposed sure, to be there. Sure isn't. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, but this kind of parlays. I'm going to switch over into another um, story about tank fish and ornamental okay. fish that people love. And and this one comes to us from Sora News 24 in Japan, whose tagline is bringing you yesterday's news from Japan and Asia today, <laughs> which has got to be a bad translation, I hope, but I, I'm not sure. Anyway, the headline is Japanese. Wait a minute. Isn't it technically yesterday there, yesterday there though, today, if you're getting no, it here? That's valid. Maybe that, maybe Same. that's what it, maybe that's, uh, mm-hmm. see, they're just more clever than me. So the headline, <laughs> the headline is Japanese police searching for men who stole 1.1 million yen in tiny fish. And the good primary story. I, th- I, I thought about this one, but I didn't do it. I'm glad you did. It's a good one. It's a good one. The primary story here is about the theft of 300 Japanese rice fish, also known as Madaka. Madaka are small fish native to East Asia. To give you some frame of reference, uh, rice fish look a lot like guppies. They live in shallow ponds, marshes, tide pools, and importantly, rice paddies, where they have likely cohabitated with humans for thousands of years. Madaka are extremely popular ornamental fish and have been kept as domesticated pets in Japan since around the 17th century. They're hardy and colorful by nature, but they've also been selectively bred to increase their coloration, much like carp, right? Certain strains now range from like a creamy orange to vibrant yellow, red, or green. And in recent years, these fish have become increasingly popular as status symbols causing their value to rise. Rarer breeds now sometimes sell for huge sums of money. A one-inch fish can go for $10,000. Yeah. ten grand for a one-incher? I didn't read that deeply. Yeah. Holy shit. If you get, okay. if you get the, really, the really rare ones, most of them aren't that, but like the really rare one, this little guppy-looking fish, ten grand. <laughs> Guarantee they're feeding, they're raising them and feeding them to bass in Texas right now. <laughs> I sure hope so. So an unidentified fish breeder in Nakama City, Japan, had plans to open up a new store called Medaka Ika, or House of Medaka. And he was planned to open on March 31st in order to capitalize on this, this growing rice fish craze that's, that's happening in Japan. He'd been breeding various kinds of Medaka for months, 
in open air ponds and everything was going great. It was all on track for his big grand opening of the new fish store when a thief cut the perimeter fence at 2.30 a.m. on March 26th and scooped out about 300 Madaka from the open ponds in which they were being reared. The fish that this individual stole are worth between 15 and 50 bucks each. Okay, these aren't the, oh. the super expensive ones, but that's still a lot. And it seems like the fish bandit was selective in choosing his targets. The expectation by police anyway is that he, he knows the market. This is someone, an insider sure. who was doing it. Sure. The whole raid was caught on security camera. And you can see, like, it's, it's not great footage, but you can see the suspect creeping around and, like, checking the tanks and figuring out which one he wants and then just, like, super deftly scooping. He's, he's got his fish scooping game on lock. He's, he's clearly done this before. <laughs> the victim told Japanese media, quote, I think of it more as a kidnapping than a theft. I'm more sad than angry, which strikes me as melodramatic. Uh, and I'm, you know, the fish robbery is fine. I, that's not the most interesting part of the story. Like some fish got robbed. Cool. But this got me reading about Madaka and the fish themselves, which I didn't know about until I found this story. Yeah. And one of the reasons that these particular fish are so popular has to do with their legendary fecundity in optimal conditions. They can reproduce every day. No kidding. Yeah. They can reproduce daily. Madaka were the first vertebrates to successfully breed in space. A healthy brood was conceived and hatched aboard the space shuttle Columbia in 1994. Their popularity as ornamental fish, you know, this kind of relates back yeah, to our yeah, last yeah. story, now jeopardizes the survival of the wild Madaka. Because as is so often the case, right? As we were just talking about, people people release their unwanted pets, right? And those ones yeah. carry the, the 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 genes that have been selectively bred, and those go and hybridize with local populations. Fifteen percent of wild madaka now carry domesticated genes, and and the wild fish, which were once pretty muted in color, are now turning yeah. out vibrant orange. So you know they're pretty mm. easy for predators to spot. Right. They're getting, right. They're getting nabbed. It's not working out Fascinating. well. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And I got one final note on the stolen fish before, before we move on. Uh, though the suspect remains at large, Sora News claims that Yakuza involvement cannot be ruled out. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Japanese organized crime known as Yakuza have recently been dabbling in the illicit fish business. Last week, Japanese maritime officers intercepted a ship and arrested the entire crew after they were caught poaching sea cucumbers, which are... A Apparently referred to as black diamonds. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Never either. heard that before. No, no. They've got massive value on on the illicit trade market around Asia as food, which I didn't know. And sea cucumber poaching has become a significant problem in parts of Japan. The authorities now believe that yakuza are running sea cucumber rings. And here's one last thing I gotta say, and this is pandering, I admit it. But the captured boat was named the Going Mary a reference to a popular anime series, One Piece. And I have no idea what that means, but I'm hoping that Phil does. I was going to say, uh, I know who can tell us. it will earn me some points. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, just a couple thoughts. Um, I, I, I always laugh when, when the Yakuza comes up because they're like this super secret Japanese mob, yet every time Discovery Channel is doing some like looking for the lost ninja sword or artifact story, like they're on speed dial. And it's like we're sitting down with the Yakuza today. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like it's like all, all freaking time. 
And also, I mean, I I hear you, like the dude's being a little dramatic about kidnapping, but I'm sorry, man. Like, just think about this, right? He was just basically about to open a store called House of Madaka, and then somebody jacked all his Madaka. So, like, can you imagine, like, you were about to open a coffee shop tomorrow, and then, like, somebody just came and stole all the f- beans, like, the night before? House I of mean, half what luck? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? What? No, luck? I feel bad for that guy. Don't get me wrong, but I, he was he was anthropomorphizing him a little hard for me. I didn't get in some of the other quotes, but he was like, they're more my friends than my pets. Like, yeah, that's a sad life, dude. <laughs> you were going to sell them. Let's be honest. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, is not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today.
I'll tell you what, they, they'd also be valuable to certain folks in Chicago. That's my, that's my <laughs> transition uh, as bait into this next story. And I'm, I'm kind of calling on our Chicago area listeners to provide more detail after the airing of the show, because I know you will, uh, because I got a little education on power lining. And I'm a little intrigued, but also a little turned off. Do you know what power lining is? I, I don't fill my ear. I got nothing on oh, that. Oh, man. Okay. All right. So I had heard the term before, but I guess I never really, I didn't I didn't follow through enough to get a full grasp on, on the technique until this story popped up on WTTWnews.com. And it's just a little news expose into this Chicago-born method of fishing where anglers fire up to 50 baited hooks way out into the harbor with a fire extinguisher. No. Yes. And this is all perfectly legal, okay? From the story, the fishing lines often have several hooks with bait, allowing fishermen to wait for what could be bites from multiple fish at once. The Illinois Department of Natural Resources sets a 50-hook limit per person. In early spring, starting mid to late March, power liners are angling for coho and Chinook salmon from the harbor. When Lake Michigan warms up in the summer, the salmon will swim further away into deeper water, right? So now I, again, I've, I've heard about this, but like so just like glancing blows, I never really understood the mechanics. And there's a video with this news piece and the reporter is hanging out with this dude, Florin Delano, and he has this janky steampunk looking homemade contraption <laughs> on wheels, right? And it's got a long ass barrel and all kinds <laughs> of bells jingling on it. And there's like conventional reels screwed to the frame. And it's got like a huge spool of line, like one of those thousand yard spools you buy to fill like offshore reels, right? And at the bottom, it's just this industrial size fire extinguisher. And he explains, you start with eight to 10 ounces of lead at the bottom of, of your line, and then you, so you load that into the gun and then that comes out on like a, like a rubber line that connects to all your baited hooks and you just freaking open that extinguisher, just hit her and it just fires the whole rig like 300 yards out into the harbor. What? And there's, there's no rods involved here. This is hand lining essentially, right? And again, I'm a little hazy on the specifics of the, of the rigging and mechanics, but then it appears that like he just retrieves this. He's got... It's like a surf rod with a spinning reel, but just the butt section as far as the first gathering guy, just like a short little, and like that's what he reels in these these lines with. And this is a thing, dude. Like this is a known thing that happens in Chicago every year. And it's I'm, it's perfectly on the up and up. I'm I do, I know speechless. There, there, are, there are fans listening right now going like, oh my God, I want to tell you everything about, because I've had people like, say like, dude, you should try power lining. And they send me a, like a picture of a fire extinguisher, but like, this is not computing. I don't know. I don't know what this means. Well, now, now I get it. Now I understand. And, and um, I'll tell you my favorite part though, in, in this little video, he's talking to the reporter and he brings in this little coho. It's early in the year. So the fishing's not great yet, but he brings in this little coho. And when he brings it in, every single line of his is, is tangled. And it is like the cluster <laughs> of the century like he's trying to be cool yeah. for the camera but it's going to eat serious time writing the wrong that this man has created during his interview segment i mean it is just 
lines going every which way in this one little coho wrapped in 19 hooks and like everything is all tied together. Now, interestingly, uh, they also interview a woman who runs a local tackle shop at Montrose Harbor in, in Chicago, which is apparently power lining ground zero. And the method was actually, it's been around since the 1950s. But back then, I guess fishermen would would throw lines out with an anchor on the end and have multiple baited hooks for salmon. Um, and, and using the fire extinguisher to blast baits, that's just a modern adaptation, but it's perfectly on the up and up. And my thoughts are this. There's obviously a scene here. Like there's a culture, there's a power lining culture. There's a cult of guys that do this. And I think that's cool, right? I'm always intrigued by these little scenes, but to me, like this is, this is for meat on the table only like other than enjoying blasting eight ounces of lead 300 yards with a fire extinguisher. Like, is this fun? Like you're hand lining in 300 yards of line that could have a shitload of, of salmon. Like, is that a good time? So I'm 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 asking. I'm not being snarky. Like if any of you out there do this, set us straight. Like shoot an email to Ben at themediator.com and let us like what am I missing? But power lining, dude. My guess so, is that the fun here is in the tinkering. It's like it's the in tinkering the, to make your shooter. Right. It's in the designing and testing and setting up your your contraption for firing the lines. I, I could be totally wrong. People be like, no, that's bullshit. No, that makes sense. That could that very would easily be, be it. I could see people really geeking out on like, oh, you you use the, I don't even know any. I was gonna say a, a kitty, a, a kitty, type, kitty. A, I, I was gonna say kitta. Yeah, you use yeah, the kitta. Kitta. Oh, yeah. kitta. Well, you really should be using the, it. Exactly. Would you get like, that yeah. Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> you got to go to the deep, deep fire yeah, extinguishers yeah. if you really want to get your distance. Like I don't. I could see that being the the part that's really attractive. But my question is this though: yeah. Does it have to be a compressed air? projectile or, or can you use like i mean could you use other things like gunpowder i mean i don't know about gunpowder this is the part i don't know i mean really they're they're talking to one dude and i'm sure that's painting such a mind it's just like scratching the surface of the whole scene i mean i've seen guys use bait cannons powered by propane and stuff to like launch surf baits out and the carolinas yeah. and stuff so i'm i'm wondering um there probably are all different ways to to make your your shooter. They're probably like, oh, he's calling it a shooter. He doesn't even know what's called a this. I don't know. I don't know what you guys call these, okay? We're not and in the scene. Right, and you're probably right about, about there being like a little, you know, whose stuff is better. But this dude, I'll tell you right now, this was some cobbled together shit, man. Like this dude was straight up trying to get salmon. He even says like, even if you see wild caught salmon in the store, it's a week old. Like I want the fresh stuff. So it's just like whatever blasted out there. Yeah, yeah, you know, but I, I, I'm intrigued by the whole thing. And the lady at the bait shop, she's like, I sell everything you need for power lining, but she can't sell the fire extinguishers. Right. Like, no. She's not allowed to sell fire extinguishers. You got to have a particular license for that. So I, I'm sure we're going to get a little lit up on this and we will follow up because I want to know more. It, it, yeah. It's intriguing. I'm fat. I, I did. I was totally in the dark. And now another B side power lining. I'm going <laughs> to fire out a freaking power lining for what. goldfish. Right. Uh. <laughs> Dude, done. Seal it. Pick the dates. Uh, sticking with the theme of, of, of technology and fish, um, you know, it seems like I've gone away from this, but early on the show, I was, I was leaning really heavy on stories about how, how fish shape technology and new products, mm -hmm. like either through biodesign or, or repurposing fish byproducts to create new materials. And I got, I will admit, I, I, I kind of overdid it. So I got away from those stories for a while. So it wouldn't feel repetitive, but don't think I've lost 
my fascination <laughs> with this topic. No, no, no. I have not. And it will continue to resurface from time to time. Earlier this week, researchers from Memorial University of Newfoundland presented a paper at the American Chemical Society proposing using fish oil as an alternative to petroleum distillate in making plastics. Mm. Dr. Francesca Curtin, the principal investigator of the study, said a fish oil-based polyurethane could help meet the immense need for more sustainable plastics. Lots of researchers are currently looking to develop plant-based plastic alternatives, but according to the website Science Daily, these two come with a drawback. The crops, often soybeans, that produce the oil require land that could otherwise be used to grow food. So, Curtin and her team sought out a different viable base material that they could source using only currently existing waste. They're, they're based okay. in Newfoundland, like I said, where Atlantic salmon farms are a huge business. And so they decided to try oils extracted from fish parts that are often discarded after the fish are processed. So we're talking heads, skeletons, and guts. Yeah. The team figured out a way to turn the fish oil into a polyurethane-like polymer that doesn't use any petroleum-based materials. They hope to find real-world applications for this fish plastic, like packaging, fibers, and clothing. In case you're wondering, Dr. Curtin told Science Daily, quote, when we start the process with the fish oil, there's a faint kind of fish smell. But as we go through the steps, that smell disappears. So you don't have to worry about your fancy new fleece jacket smelling like fish until you, of course, inevitably wipe your fish slime-coated hands on it. Won't start out that way. You can do it yourself. And this all sounds well and good. I'm all for finding as many viable alternatives to plastic as, as possible. My wife and I actually struggle with this weekly because we, we know plastics have all kinds of drawbacks, but they're also everywhere. Like, example, last week, our kids' school did an Easter egg hunt, which was lots of fun for the kids. And, and our son came home with this basket uh, of plastic eggs filled with shitty candy, and he was, he was elated, right? He was on cloud nine. And despite all that joy and loving seeing how happy my kid was, part of me was cringing, picturing the future of those fake eggshells that he enjoyed for no more than half a day. But I don't want to be the fun-hating crazy guy who ruins children's holidays being like, yeah, you think that's fun now? Wait till it poisons a baby dolphin. <laughs> Not going to like your Easter egg so much then. Like, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to ruin kids' fun. These are just your standard, they open in half plastic Easter eggs. There's standard plastic Easter eggs, man. I just got stuck in my head on it. Right, that's but he all, got to bring them. So he got to find the eggs and bring the eggs home. Yeah. Yeah, but then you use them every year for the next eight years for your home at-home Easter egg hunt. Yes, I realize there are lots of alternatives here. What I'm trying to like, <laughs> what I'm trying to communicate to people is that like, this is a thing that I overthink, right? And I, I'm not one of those crazy guys that's like, oh, plastic must go. You're killing the world. But at the same time, I, want, I think about plastics and I understand the repercussions. It's something that I think about from time to time. Anyway, okay. my point here is that if we can start making, I don't know, plastic Easter eggs out of fish waste, that's great. I think that would be great. I would, I would love to see that. But I also have to wonder what happens if this technology does take off, right? You can, you well, can find yeah. enough fish oil to run a small little study on, on the viability of this product from some fish farm waste. But to scale this to the level required to meet global plastic consumption, I, that'll, that'll require a little bit more source material. And I, and I just wonder, then the next thing I wonder is like, well, what, what, what happens if fish skeletons become a valuable commercial commodity? Like, where, what do we, the Yakuza is going to get on this shit, man. <laughs> well, listen, dude, 
A lot of you guys have written in and asked us if we've seen Seaspiracy on Netflix, and we are going to. We have not watched it yet, but believe me, but I, I sort of know the gist, and that's the first thing that pops into my mind. That's great. Yeah, look, I don't know what side of the argument on Seaspiracy on. I'm just saying in general, because <laughs> I haven't seen it, so I can't pass judgment, but as soon as you brought this up, that's what I'm thinking. That's great if this is an alternative to plastics. Boy, howdy, do we use a lot of plastics, and if it's that good... Yeah, man, like we're already worried about taking too many fish to eat. Yeah. If we need them to make plastic, this could be a, a very big problem. <laughs> it could be a very big issue. I'm with you on the Seas Beers. We, my wife and I actually talked about it last night. We're like, should we watch this? She's like, I don't want to be that depressed right before bed. So we I'm have to, to watch it though, because there's a lot to debate. Because I've already read articles saying like, this is bullshit. And I have to. Like, I have so to. we have to. We yeah, will. I know. We got to get with it. All right. That's enough about, you know, terrible news and, and <laughs> ruining the oceans and conspiracies and, and organized crime. I think, I think, well, you know, there might be a connection though, because we're going to go from here into, into the sail bin where uh, oh. a, a, a certain individual might or might not be selling something or might just be trying to lure you into uh, into his backyard for other reasons. It's a great one, and we'll get to it as soon as we hear from Phil and see if your anime deal worked. I thought that One Piece was a reference to a bathing suit and not a one piece of treasure that will make you the Pirate King, which is what One Piece is apparently actually about. So, sorry, Miles, your plan didn't work, but you win anyway. Congrats! <laughs> now we just wait for Michael Mann or Scorsese to direct the Yakuza fish crime movie, and it will sit in the pantheon of other fish crime movies, like Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, and uh, the fish called Wanda, I guess. I also have a new excuse to use whenever I upload a podcast late. Phil, why was this late? Well, you know, Yakuza involvement cannot be ruled out. Well, why did you put the head in the paper if you don't know what I'm getting at? Well, you, you didn't have to be so hurtful with me, so angry. It's time for Sailbin, where we tell you about a sort of fishing-related item for sale somewhere on the internet, like Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace, something like that. One of, yeah. one of those those seller-to-seller things we can find. Kijiji, it's, it's, it doesn't matter, really. It's just the modern flea market in an electronic space is all it is. Exactly. That is exactly what it is. And this week's comes from listener Justin Martin. And the truth is that this one almost slipped by me. Yeah. Because it's, it's missing the most important asset for selling anything online, <laughs> a photo. Like, I need, to see, I need to see what I'm buying. I, I mean, like, dude... I, a Craigslist post with with no photo, that's like some 1999 shit, man. That's like the beginnings of Craigslist. That just doesn't work anymore. No. No, it's marketing 101. You got to have you got to have some, some imagery there. But <laughs> this post includes no imagery at all, which is uh it's it's additionally strange because it seems like the seller actually put some time into writing the copy mm -hmm. for this Craigslist post. He may have been blackout drunk when he did it, he but he definitely yeah. like he definitely like crafted a narrative that he worked on. And you'd think that he'd at least walk out and take a couple crappy pictures yes. to boost the appeal. Like right. if you're gonna put that much time into it, just snap a blurry photo like everybody else. Right. Yeah. I mean the photos in, in these posts in general are terrible and and I guess this stuff still sells. So just walk out there and snap it. Good point. But I can only assume what else can you think? This canoe that he's selling looks so bad that he figures his best shot at selling the thing is just going with the verbal pitch. And once he gets you all the way there to look at the thing, you might still buy it. 
no matter what kind of shape it's in. <laughs> either that, either that, or like you said, he's too drunk to care if anyone buys it, and he spends his nights amusing himself by writing up somewhat nonsensical Craigslist ads, which I kind of admire. You know what I mean? Uh, it's 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 either admirable or really really sad. I'm not sure which. And <laughs> you know what? Who for our purposes, we don't care because we're right. not we're not looking to buy the thing. We just want a good laugh. And I gotta say, like this post is just entertainment gold. It is phenomenal. It, it's so good. It's so good. So without further ado, we'll just read you this Craigslist ad, okay? With a, with a few interjections when necessary. So here we go, okay. <laughs> Inexpensive canoe, $290. This is the time that tries a canoe seller's soul. Look outside. Do you want to hop in a boat, possibly tip it over and freeze? Neither do I. But the shortest day of the year is behind us. The druids have celebrated, and the days all get longer. And hold on, hold on. I got I to gotta <laughs> throw a quick interjection in here. Because the next part, not the, the rest of it makes total sense, but the next part gets extra weird. Because this post went up in January. Right. So the next line doesn't make any sense at all, but you got to let that go. You got to suspend your, your <laughs> cynicism here. We're here for the laughs. Just enjoy it. Roll with it. Okay. So he continues. <laughs> Christmas is upon us, and Billy wants a shotgun. Now I'm going to interject. I'm gonna, I have to stop there because I just have to throw out that like I've been sort of noodling on like the, maybe the, what what would the next bent sticker be? And now I'm suddenly stuck on a Billy wants a shotgun sticker. Like I think I would put a sticker that says that on my wares on my truck or boat. It it resonates with me in a similar way to the line <laughs> Buster wants to fish. Right. Did. Billy and wants I had a Buster shotgun. wants to fish stickers all over because there was a group that made those exactly. Billy exactly. wants a shotgun. <laughs> okay. We'll worry about stickers later. I'm going to back up so you get the full effect. So I'll start again here. Christmas is upon us, and Billy wants a shotgun. I have no problem with this. I support every person's right to bear arms. Of course, unless it's somebody who's really angry with me. And believe me, there are a few of them. If you buy Billy that shotgun, you are really going to have to be really nice to him forever. Because who wants to have a gun battle with the offspring? Or the ex-wife could get a hold of it, and it's all downhill from there. <laughs> hold on, pause. <laughs> pause. Because uh, I just need to break down the rhetorical strategy here. Dude is selling a used canoe, and in a very few short sentences, he's managed to touch on Second Amendment rights, murderous ex-wives, disappointing children at Christmas, potential patricide, and the fact that numerous people would like to see him dead. He's gone way off the rails here. I just way <laughs> off. I'm not like an expert in sales or anything, but I don't think that's like an effective strategy <laughs> if you're trying to sell a canoe. But anyway, all right, continue, continue. Right, so moving on. So next passage, next quatrain. <laughs> So get Billy a canoe. This is a fine 15-foot Coleman, red in color, no defects, no cracks, and a pleasure to paddle. Also, there is no possibility of an accidental discharge. It's cheaper to buy this fine canoe right now. That might be a lie, but who knows? The demand for watercraft is through the roof. Reserve your seat now in this fine Coleman at a fantastic price. I am Jerry. Give me a call. Come sit in my yard, have a cup of tea, and freeze with me. 
Oh, and and, and <laughs> that's it. That's the entire yep. post. No photo, just yep. rando, right? And and those last few lines explain the whole thing for me. Uh, yeah, Jerry, Jerry doesn't want to sell a canoe. He doesn't. He doesn't. Jerry, Jerry wants. Jerry wants a friend. That's what Jerry he wants. wants. A friend. I'm guessing Jerry already tried the personal section. What used to what do they used to call it? Um, casual encounters on Craigslist. They got rid of that, and Jerry's upset about it. He's one of the people missing casual encounters, or um, or he just like maybe he took the same strategy into casual encounters that he took into selling canoe, and it didn't quite it, work. It didn't, for him. it didn't work. It didn't work, and he he failed miserably. So now he's looking around his house trying to figure out what he can pretend to sell just to get some poor schmuck to come have a cup of tea with him. Oh Jerry. my god, I I. You got me thinking. Now I just wish we had copies of Jerry's personal ads. Like, can you imagine what that sounded like? Everyone in my life hates me. Can you reverse Many people? I, you know, I've never thought, like, can you look up a seller on Craigslist, like previous posts? Like, there could be a book here with Jer. Jer, as I like to call him. Jer, Jer deserves a book deal. <laughs> I think that's uh, that's what we learned here. Oh, man. That was a good one. Uh, thanks again to Justin Martin for sending it along. And if you find anything amusing for sale, that's even vaguely fishing related, please send it to bent at the meat eater.com. I kind of wanted to call Jerry. I wish you would. I almost called Jerry. And, and it, here's one thing we did not mention in that. I might be able to <laughs> hang out with Jerry, 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 I, he could possibly be a writer on this show. Okay. But, yeah. uh, I, I also uh, bet Jerry's into backyard birding. Uh, okay, so hold on, pause, because if you're using birding as a euphemism for sitting in your yard <laughs> drinking cocktails, which is clearly what Jerry's doing, I'm saying that's another point for the, it, like, a positive point for the birding camp. Okay. I can definitely see myself <laughs> lounging on some patio furniture with a glass of buffalo trace, just kicking back, staring at the trees, and 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 saying things like, hey, was was that a pileated woodpecker? <laughs> God damn it, you kids, shut up. You're scaring dad's birds. Like, I can see it, myself Bobby. doing that. Yeah. Damn it, Bobby! It's, it's, it's a I can see crane. that. I can see that too. And the other thing we we failed to mention, um, per Jerry's pose, he lives like just a stone's throw from me. By the way, like Jerry, mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. he's kind of down the street. So we'll see. But again, uh, just because you like to drink whiskey in your yard doesn't mean you like birding. So given the choice, uh, I know I know you would go fishing instead. That is accurate. I would. And uh, and to cap off this lofty episode, uh, I think we have to close with an end of line about a winged lure that's kind of similar to birding. Or do you think it's a good idea or stupid idea? It has remained steadily popular with at least some people for a very long time, and it's it's recently become kind of cool again. Fishy, 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 fishy! Well, that's not loud enough, Bert. Lures get famous in one of two ways. Either they catch fish or they catch anglers. I always assumed that the crazy crawler fell into the latter camp. It's one of the strangest looking baits ever produced, but also one of the most recognizable and iconic. The crazy crawler looks like a a giant locust, or maybe a mutant hummingbird, a segmented cylindrical body with aluminum wings attached to either side on hinges. How could you not be intrigued by such a lure? How does it work? Will a fish actually eat it? And if so, why? The Crazy Crawler was originally invented by Jim Donnelly of Hopatcong, New Jersey in the 1920s as the signature bait for the Donnelly Lure Company, which never really took off. Hedden purchased the design in 1940 in order to compete with a wildly popular Arbogast jitterbug. 
The crawler is a topwater bait that rolls from side to side as it's retrieved. The metal wings alternately reach out and grab the water, resulting in an action similar to a swimmer doing the crawl stroke. The grasping wings and rolling body produce a lot of wiggle and leave an impressive bubble trail. Any fish in the vicinity knows something's happening on the surface and can easily track the commotion to its source. Though the design of the lure is relatively complex, fishing it couldn't be simpler. Whereas stick-style walking baits, like spooks, require a somewhat technical retrieve to be effective, crawlers are almost foolproof. Just cast them out and reel them in. The holy trinity of vintage surface bass plugs includes the hula popper, the jitterbug, and the crazy crawler. But while I have clear memories of my childhood fishing mentors chugging those first two baits across calm lakes at dusk, I can't recall anyone ever fishing a crawler. I remember seeing them in my uncle's tackle box, but I can't think of a single time I saw him actually fish it. Now, to be fair, my family wasn't big believers in surface baits in general, so the fact that our little clan had no faith in crawlers doesn't mean they don't work. Crawlers actually have devoted fans who claim these baits elicit the most exciting takes they've ever seen. But they're still better known as collector's items than confidence baits. I always thought of crawlers as the original gimmick lure. I mean, of course people buy them. They've got hinges and metal wings. Joe's already given you his take on the suicide duck, and I always thought the crazy crawler fit into a similar category. But it turns out I might be wrong about that. A couple years ago, I went fishing with Oliver Nye. If you don't know him, Oliver is one of the most intelligent and innovative anglers in modern fishing. He created the Big Bass Dreams brand and channel and has been instrumental in demonstrating how effective big swim baits can be for bass and other freshwater predators. We've had Oliver on the show before and featured him on a couple episodes of Das Boat. Bottom line, he's a fishy dude who's not afraid to try unconventional approaches or tactics. But he also doesn't use anything that doesn't get bit. So he and I got out together for an early fall mission targeting big pike. And I expected Oliver to toss an eight to 10 inch swim bait, but instead he picked up a rod rigged with what looked like a crazy crawler on steroids. What the hell's that? I asked him. Oh, this, he said, this is a prototype of little something I've been working on. I call it the Ryan Gosling. And then he Flash that smug grin of his that usually means he's about to completely outfish you with something you know nothing about. The Ryan Gosling looked very much like a gosling with metal wings. And though it didn't light up the pike that day, Oliver continued to test it in fisheries across the country and elsewhere in the world. A few months later, he sent me a video of the gosling getting gobbled by a 53-inch muskie. And later, and possibly even more impressive, a 48-inch Murray cod in Australia that probably weighed 70 pounds. That prototype eventually became a production lure for Megabass, though in a smaller size and sadly without the Ryan Gosling name. The I-Wing 135 takes the century-old DNA of the Crazy Crawler and updates it with features like an internal weighted pendulum system and customizable wings for easy tuning. And Megabass wasn't the only company to update the crawler style in recent years. There are numerous wing surface lures on the market today, including the Smuggler from Chase Baits, which is uh, shaped like a parrot and is definitely a gimmick. But all that leads me back to the ultimate question about these lures. Are they popular because they're actually effective? Or are they popular because we love the idea of watching a fish come to the surface to eat something that ridiculous? I know fish hate these lures sometimes, but 
Are they ever really the best option for a given situation? I'll probably never know, but I'm as seduced by the idea of them working as anyone. And if I ever do get a giant bass or musky or murray cod or anything else to blow up on one, I could see myself becoming a full-on convert. And that concludes our ornithology lesson for the day. If you're filling out your bird books, key sightings include a reminder that guides should never, ever guarantee anything. Some guy in Philly is using canoe sails as a way to phone a friend. Oliver and I definitely knows which bird is the word. And if you drink enough cocktails in your backyard, you might convince yourself you hear Nelson Muntz laughing at you from the trees. Please keep those bar nominations, sailbin items, awkward fishing photos, news suggestions, and updates on your grandpa's hernia surgery coming to Bent at TheMeatEater.com. Yes, and also keep posting your heroic and or not-so-heroic shots with the hashtags DegenerateAngler and Bent Podcast on Instagram. And finally, keep in mind today's words of wisdom from Jerry. Billy wants a shotgun. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.